Hey guys, so just up top, because this episode can get a bit dark at times because it's about nature saving people's lives, meaning that their lives were a bit in jeopardy to begin with, uh, Ollie, one of the blog authors, has really recommended that I share some mental health resources for you um, if you need it during this podcast. So if you head over to the website at www.lonelyconservationist.com, I have compiled a list of mental health resources that should cover most places in the world. Um, There is obviously lifelines specific to each country, websites you can access, chat lines, whatever you need. So please, if you are feeling any of the mental health impacts from this podcast, if it relates to you in a way that brings back old trauma or it really hits differently, please go check out the website and access um, the mental health services in your country that are available. And really, thank you, Ollie, for mentioning this because it's something that I didn't even think of. So, yeah, um, go into this podcast with um, just prepare yourself. If you think you're not in the right headspace, maybe don't listen to this one. It is still an uplifting podcast. I don't want to pretend that it's all doom and gloom the whole time, but I can understand from season one, some people weren't able to listen to all of the episodes as they came out because some of them just hit too close to home. So if this is you, just a kind warning that maybe this one's not for you this week and you can pick it up later when you're feeling mentally a bit better. Um, So take care of yourself guys and let's get into the podcast. Hello and welcome to the How to Conserve Conservationist podcast season two all about you. I am your host Jessie and I'm Todd and together we will be talking about episode nine which is all about how nature saved my life. Not mine in particular but some people in the community. Um, So just a trigger warning up top this may start off as a potentially depressing episode it goes into things such as suicide depression and anxiety and it must be noted that because it's nature saved my life it does get more uplifting at the end but if you have been struggling with your mental state recently or have experienced anything i've just mentioned maybe this is not the episode for you Mm. all of the other problems we talked about is like a problem in conservation of people's lives that's sort of just it's a negative thing We, we should work towards fixing it but this is like an example of Nature is the completely 100% wholesome good thing. Yeah. So this and is, everything else in my life is the problem. Yeah, this is kind of a spin. So, yeah, <laughs> usually it's like, oh, conservation, why you do that? But now it's like, <laughs> conservation, thank you for doing that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, this is going to be a bit of a twisty episode, but I thought it was important to mention because there are so many examples on the blog of people talking about how nature has saved their lives. And literally, I could have chose multiple blogs as reference points for this, but I chose these two because they actually had nature saving my life in the title. So, (laughs) yeah. So if I didn't choose you for this one, um, your blog is probably 100% in this theme, but you just missed out because of the title and I just needed convenient title choosing. (laughs) Um, So with that, the two blogs that we're going to be talking about today are one from Stephanie and one from Ollie. Stephanie's is more of a generalized notion, which I feel like could summarize um, the phenomenon more broadly and more people can relate to it. And then as the second blog, we're going to go more specifically into Ollie's story and more of the ins and outs of his journey and how nature came to save in his life. So without further ado, let's get cracking into Stephanie's blog. 
Um, so basically she says she always loved nature, but since the world has gone to shit in 2020 with the pandemic, everything going on in America and the global world, um, she's been thinking a lot more about the importance of nature in uh, more centering yourself and its impacts on mindfulness and the health, both mental and physical benefits of nature. Um, so that kind of, I think, inspired her to write this story. So she said, there was a time when, excuse the pun, I couldn't see the wood from wood for the trees. I have stumbled through my struggles with depression with those closest to me. I have come to points in previous years where I've confessed to precious friends that I didn't want to carry on anymore. I have also felt my heart break for those friends experiencing a similar anguish whose pain I wish I could have felt for them. I appreciate some may feel that this is oversharing or a bit gloomy. However, we must accept that sadness is natural, important, and a valid emotion. Feelings of low mood are something we all experience at multiple points in our lives. I have watched as conservationists, oh, I've watched as conversations around mental health have been uh, started in, re in recent years, and I sadly think it's a topic that has become somewhat glamorized. There is still much work to be done in instilling into our culture the importance of mental well-being. And I actually think that's a really good point, how I think sometimes the mental health conversation is more of a trending topic, whereas people are less inclined to talk about how they actually really feel and they're more like talking about it for the sake of, you know, like mental health. <laughs> is that a thing? That sounds horrifying. Yeah, well, I think like when the mental health conversation and the importance of mental health conversation started happening, it was like, especially for men, whereas I think the, the most common men's issue is surrounded by mental health. And I think there's like, oh, let's wear like a specific color or let's like highlight this happening. But it's really rare still for men to feel comfortable to speak out about these issues. So I think that's what I kind of mean. It's like more to tokenistic showing that you care and talking about it as a concept, but then still feeling like she says, um, I don't want to feel like I'm overexposing myself or being too gloomy. She puts in that disclaimer because there's still that like notion that you can't speak freely about your mental health mental health without looking like you're, I don't know, bringing everyone down or oversharing or blah, blah. Yeah, I've noticed like um, people on the internet in certain circles are like very open and will like joke about being depressed and like really, really, yeah, like you say, be forward about how they feel. But then they'll be like, oh, you know, I accidentally talked this way to my real life friends and they were just horrified. Yeah, I think that's the problem with, I think Todd's social media and all the memes he sends me are very, like, glamorizing mental health problems. Do you think that, that's the problem? Yeah, I think that's a problem because it takes away the sincerity of the actual mental health problems. If you know how everyone's like, oh, I have to keep my room so clean because I have... Uh, OCD when they don't actually have OCD they're just kind of like using that as a throwaway term yeah that's another thing people like they won't be diagnosed or have any actual problems but mm -hmm. they'll be like oh yeah I'm, I'm so OCD that I need to make sure my room isn't a mess all yeah. the time and I think that's the same sentiment for talking about anxiety and depression on the internet people kind of just use it as throwaway terms so when people actually are really really suffering with depression or anxiety they don't feel like they can have it taken seriously when they actually come to speak about it with people yeah. so I think it like the way that it's talked about in pop culture or like in social media can kind of cheapen the gravity of the feelings and experiences of people dealing with uh, mental health issues Mm. If that makes sense.
I mean, even poor Steph here, like, uses, doesn't say directly how she's feeling. It just sort of tries to make you infer it with, like, I was telling close friends. Mm-hmm. I didn't want them anymore. Yeah. So it's hard when you read about people like Steph who is, like, uh, contemplating the the purpose or the meaning of her own life or its worth to the people around her, the worth to herself, basically. And even talking about it in this blog, she's like, oh, don't mind me. I'm not trying to be gloomy or I'm not trying to overshare. Like, I just feel pretty bad that we have to put these disclaimers when we're trying to be open and honest with people because how can things change if we don't have these conversations and kind of going back to season one I would have never seen a therapist or realized I had PTSD unless we had had that discussion for the mental health episode like that episode and us talking about it Mm -hmm. really authentically really made me realize like what I what it was that I need to seek help for and like take the steps to improve so if I'd never really had the opportunity before that episode to sit down and have a proper conversation focused around mental health in terms of my own. And so like by restricting the opportunities for these conversations, how much are we harming the people around them and not being fully available to them to hear what they're saying and to help them? Yeah. Yeah. So. um, But there's a solution. (laughs) There's always a solution. She goes on to say, uh, for me, nature offers a space of non-judgment. It doesn't care whether you've got a mortgage, a career, a partner, two kids, and a Labrador. It offers up its resources, beauty, and grace. I think nature is my constant. It's difficult for me to feel lonely when I have unlocked an awareness of being part of something so interlinked. Spending time in nature, you find yourself acknowledging that you're a part of something much bigger than you can comprehend, the global network of life. And then she also goes on to mention the literature on how nature is good for your mental and physical well-being. And the, there's a lot of science that has kind of um, shown really good evidence towards that. And also she talks uh, about acknowledging what we talked about in episode five of um, the injustices of some people not having access to this kind of relief of going out into nature and also sometimes the environmental degradation that doesn't lead to healing you kind of makes you more sad so although nature is something that's been a positive healing space for a lot of people it can't be for everybody and i think that was really important of steph to mention because we did talk about that in the access to conservation episode when not everybody has the same rights to unwind in nature which is really sad yeah for like way more reasons than you would think yeah so i'm actually wondering so todd you have not really the same affinity for nature that everybody else has in Lonely Conservationist. Do you still find yourself going outside to unwind or do you still think that you find the health benefits of going into nature? Is that something that's impacted you in your life at all? Oh, I was going to have like a counter argument. (laughs) It's not an argument, but I have other thoughts. Um, I'm not a psychologist at all and I have no idea, but my my personal theory Mm -hmm. is... It's not so much the nature part, or it is quite. It's a pleasant spaces to be in quite often. There are some bits of nature that are not pleasant to be in for me personally, but it's more about the sh- like the shock to your routine, mm. and like if you if you get in a rut and you're feeling like shit every day, and that's because you know you sleep in every day, you don't look after yourself. It's easy to have the cycle of like you don't 
do well every day and you make these bad habits. But if you like actually teleport yourself into nature, like all of your normal day-to-day habits and thoughts that just disappear and you can have like a chance to have new thoughts and habits develop. Are you saying like when... So it's more about like a change of your your immediate surroundings and your routine as I think what's really helpful. I'm not, that's my personal theory. I have no evidence and science to back this up. Well, there is like, there is science to say that there's certain chemicals in the environment that like can alter your own chemistry to like kind of make you happier and calmer. But yeah. I think also like there's something to be said about when you're inside the house, you associate it with screens and technology and like the rut that you're in. I have to clean this house. I have to clean my room. I have to do this homework. When yeah. you're in nature and there's kind of nothing, it kind of makes, it strips you away from all of that, the day-to-day grind of all the stuff you have to do. That's that's what it is for me. Like if you met, if you're, if you just go to work every day and come back home every day and like that's your life and you don't enjoy either parts of this, mm-hmm. it's easy to imagine you're not doing well. But if you're like, for me, it's like if I go to the beach and there's like heaps of people there and I can like buy ice cream, I, is that, I, I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I'm with friends, you know, we're chatting, there's still like a bright blue sky and sea. That's sort of nature, but also like, you know. The beach is nature. Yeah, the beach is nature, but also I can buy ice cream and like <laughs> step in the shade whenever I want. Yeah. So does it still count? Yeah, of course. I think. Like, like just being outside. Is that something else that people think nature is just like where the trees are? Because nature is more than just trees. Nature is ocean. Nature is sunsets. Nature is cliff faces. Like nature is places where trees aren't. What if you live in the middle of a city though? You yeah. just go out for you go out for a walk. What about in the park? There's a lot of green spaces in Melbourne actually. I was really shocked when I moved here in the suburbs. Like you'll be driving in this place that you think is just total suburbia and there's always like a little pocket of nature hidden in the suburbs, like a little park or reserve or something. I couldn't believe it because in South Australia where I grew up it wasn't like that. There's just the suburbs a suburb. <laughs> so I think like depending where you are, but I feel like even going into the park or and like as a bird watcher there's always birds even in the cities um there's like peregrine falcons on top of the ANZ building so it's just like I think that I can find nature everywhere but maybe for people who aren't really naturally inclined you need to go to a total space that you can't see any civilization to feel like you're really in nature like maybe a park won't have the benefits that it would for someone else yeah like if you walk down your street you still like have all those you're still in that mindset of when you're at home right mm-hmm. but if you're in a totally different environment that's where you, you might start thinking differently i just hate it when i've immersed myself in nature and then there's like dickhead cyclists or something like all i want to <laughs> do is like i see a bird i want to like immerse myself in like um just taking a snap of this bird but i have to be super vigilant of like who's cycling past me am i still on the footpath is like Am I putting myself in danger? Am I putting others in danger? So even when it's like a natural space away from the suburbs, human density, I think, can play into it as well. Just yeah. as a bird, a cyclist, it annoy me. Or like you're walking through some nature, <laughs> that's the word we're using for it, and you feel like maybe everything will be okay, and then you see like a pile of rubbish someone left behind, you're like, no, now I remember, people are terrible. Yeah. That's right, I almost forgot. <laughs> But I think there's something as well, there's a conversation to be had about like 
not using the word the word wilderness or places that insinuate that nature has to be somewhere else because realistically the tree in your backyard is part of nature and i think making nature more accessible to people by saying like you can find a whole diversity of birds and insects and critters in that tree in your backyard you don't have to be wealthy or have transport or anything to actually go and experience nature and maybe that just means like taking it down a scale getting out a magnifying glass getting it like what are they called the macro lens and seeing like the smaller world i think it's really important to that we all have a conversation and use the language where it, it doesn't separate ourselves from nature because if i think of the wilderness i think of like some i don't know far off land like some national park in america that i've never been to with like coyotes and stuff like <laughs> wilderness for me seems unattainable whereas like, like uh, the picture for steps blog yeah <laughs> whereas like natural spaces for me i think of like just the na- like botanical parks in the city or a, cl- a reserve close to me i don't know like everyone might perceive language differently but i think we should stop using the word wilderness because i think for the average joe it makes uh, wild spaces seem unattainable do you think yeah i think that's a good point yeah um, so anyway, that's kind of like the general, I wanted to start off with Steph's blog because that's more of a, a general. You didn't want to start off with Steph's okay. blog. I had to make you change the order. I know. This is a point of contention. I wanted to start off with Ollie's blog and end on Steph's blog. But alas, Todd thinks that starting general and ending specific is the way to go. <laughs> so um, I hope that kind of summarizes uh, the theme of this episode is that sometimes it's really challenging, especially like with 2020 and there's so much uncertainty and everything, uh, all your plans might be up in the air, but something that stays constant, you always, unless there's like extreme degradation, usually in in the wild spaces close to you, um, things stay pretty constant and you can tell like what's the cockatoo tree or what lake you can find the ducks in. Like, there's something really consistent about nature that makes me feel really comfortable where when you go somewhere a few times, you kind of learn which trees different species hang out in, or, you know, the trails off by heart and you can kind of just switch off and like it moves through the motions. Yeah, it puts me in a different nature. mode of thinking. Yeah. So- a, f- a friend of mine, he used to go for a lot of walks out in like yeah public parks and forests. And he'd be like, it's so great because you can go out there and it doesn't matter what a politician said that day. It doesn't matter, like, you know, what the stock market happened and, you know, what technology. None of that matters at all. It's just a bunch of trees and bushes just hanging out. Yeah. And then you get to hang out with them. Yeah. Yeah. So you can just be in this world where none of normal life matters. Yeah. It's very, very freeing. The thing I love about nature is, like, there's the consistency and the predictability of, like, oh, I know what species hang out in this tree, blah, blah, blah. But there's always room for excitement. Like I've been to the same parks like hundreds of times and there's one day that I'll just see a species that I've never seen before or I'll see like Gengar and cockatoos, which I always love to see. Or like I can see new species in a place that I go all the time. So there's the familiarity of the landscape, but then there's the potential for excitement. I think that's like the thing that I love about nature. And I had an interview um, for a job working in local forests um, a couple of weeks ago And I was kind of, it wasn't, it was like a trial shift. So like they loved me in the interview and the thing that would determine me getting the job or not was seeing how they would interact with the job. 
And as soon as I got into this forest, which is like a local forest to me, I bird in there all the time. And I felt at home there because I'm, I know where all the birds are. I know all the trees, I know all the paths. I felt so comfortable in that space that I did a really good job in the shift because that element of it was taken out. Like I didn't have to stress about the environment. I just had to focus on what I was doing in the job. So I think that was the thing that really struck me is how comforting familiar natural spaces are. It's like, oh, this is my home. So um, yeah, I just, every, every day I'm still learning about the benefits of nature and how it helps me in my life. So let's go into Ollie's blog. Um, so this one is more specific about kind of the hardships that he went into. So just be mindful. Again, if you're having a bad day, bear with us to the end where it gets more uplifting. <laughs> well, you're not alone. Yeah, this goes to show as well that you're not alone in your thoughts and feelings. The, the sheer amount of people who have done blogs very similar to this. And in fact, Ollie, I once reached out to Ollie and was like, you know your blog is eerily similar to this other person's? And he's like, yeah, well, that's why I felt comfortable to share my stories because it was similar to this other story. So um, it just goes to show that you're not alone in, in your thoughts, your journey, your feelings. Uh, it is a different journey than you had to, it, to nature. Yeah, I was like, well, you can see with Steph and Ollie, they both loved nature as a kid. They just didn't think it would necessarily be a full force in their career path or whatever like they just enjoyed hanging out and i think that's the thing with nature is it's not everyone's career path just mm. some people see it differently because it's glaringly obvious that that's what they want to do when they're young yeah. other people kind of like the episode where um we talk about how people change into conservation later in life like the two blog authors that started off in different in different careers and then they transitioned into nature because i think in the beginning nature was just a space where they like to hang out and enjoy and then it turned into like oh i can actually do this for a job mm. so i think some people have like you're like oh, i'm gonna be a conservationist and other people are like oh yeah nature's cool and then later they're like oh i can do a job with this but they just didn't know it was possible in the beginning so ollie loved growing up um, playing, he traveled a lot between the Gold Coast and regional Victoria, and he spent a lot of time outside. And he also joined the Cubs and the Scouts and had a good time in the, like Scouts and Cubs and stuff was very like nature-based orientated. So you yeah. could tell that when Ollie was growing up, he had an affinity for nature and this was something that was always a part of him. But I guess in the beginning, he didn't consider it as like a driving force of his life. It was just something he enjoyed as a kid yeah um so he talks about the hardships that he had so he says i must have been an easy target for bullies at school because it followed me all the way from prep which if you're south australian that's reception or the year before you no won. one on the planet calls it reception except for us yeah well for you preschool the year before you won <laughs> um so he was bullied all the way from prep through to year 11. When I entered high school, however, the bullying became so bad that I tried to take my own life. I was 13 years old. I was very quickly diagnosed with depression and anxiety and put on some pretty strong medication to try and relieve some of the dark thoughts and suicidal tendencies I was experiencing to calm my mind. But if I'm completely honest, it didn't help. As I got older, my depression had gotten worse. I started to self-harm in an attempt to finally relieve some of the pain and frustration I was feeling. The bullying be became worse and finally I got expelled from high school because I fell into a bad crowd. 
I found myself homeless at 16 to 17 years old and um, trying to detach and cope with my life. Struggling to find the reason to keep going in life, I found myself going to parties out in the bush and meeting people that had a massive appreciation and love for nature. So getting back into nature again was kind of like this outlet he realized really calmed his mind and he kind of reconnected with nature in the same way he did as a kid. That's pretty wild. I imagine like most kids that uh, drop out of high school a bit uh, going around the place to fall into a crowd of like nature loving people. Well, I think that's like a very lucky thing to have happened. Yeah. It could have been a lot worse. There's other crowds that would have been a lot more downward spiral. Yeah. (laughs) Possibly. But I think there's like a crossover between like you can think there's like the nature people that are like very like angelic and holistic, but there's also a bunch of people that like do magic mushrooms and like party in the forest. <laughs> like you, there's, there is a gateway natural group. I feel like yeah, you like not everyone in nature is nature based the same way. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, so he goes on to say that he'd been working in a fish and chip shop for uh years earning less than minimum wage but he wanted to get into a properly paying job to support himself and to aid some of the mental health impacts he was faced with but he was stuck with the catch-22 of not having enough experience in order to gain more experience you know Mm. they have entry-level jobs 10 years experience it's like who is taking like who are you hiring for this nobody's gonna fill this criteria yeah it goes into like the logistical nightmare of yeah just getting a job in this field yeah no he which was is a common thread i don't even know at that point if he was trying to get a job in the field he just wanted a job because he was uh, diagnosed with ptsd and he was starting to realize that he needed more help for his mental health and there was a lot of his life that he wanted to get back on track so i think at that time he just wanted to get any paying job but yeah. the, like the needing experience to get experience so he goes on to say I was fast losing hope again. I had no light at the end of the tunnel and it felt as if my tunnel was just getting deeper and darker. I was again struggling with a reason to live. I started to buy edible plants and started a garden. I would spend all of my time out in the garden when I wasn't applying for jobs, as I was in the middle of flicking aphids off my tomato plant that I had four fruits growing on it. I had an epiphany. What if I could get a job gardening or doing something outdoors in nature? Something that's very therapeutic for me. I was mind blown. I ran inside and started Googling frantically to try and find anything that I could apply for with no experience. An ad for the Conservation Volunteers Australia Green Army popped up and I applied straight away. To my surprise, I was called in for an interview. He walked in shaking um, and his anxiety was full steam ahead. What if I stuffed up the only opportunity I'd been given in 10 years? So the pressure's on. Like you find how, like what a coincidence. Like you had this epiphany flicking aphids off your tomatoes you're like yeah this is really calming like what if i could have something nature-based as my job and then all of a sudden there is this opportunity that requires no experience yeah the pressure's on you need that job (laughs) um how old how old was he at that point uh i'm not sure i don't know ollie if you're listening to this which you will be because you have to review this episode how old were you when this happened Todd's curious. Well, yeah. I'm just I'm just picturing like <laughs> yeah, like at, at a certain age where you're right at the start of like any sort of professional careers, mm-hmm. and like yeah, there's a lot of like 
oh, I don't even know what to do. I'm just looking for any work. Mm -hmm. Like, to even pick, like, where to find jobs is a struggle. Yeah. So as proof to you that we actually get all the blog authors to review all of the podcast episodes, um, Ollie has, in fact, answered, and he was 24 years old when he got this position. So it's good that there was this opportunity and he ended up getting the job, which is really amazing. He ended up loving the people. He ended up loving the natural spaces that he was going into every day. And I think that gave him a new zest for life and he's asking lots of questions because it just working in so many different natural landscapes with all these supportive people is just going to be a total flip from being so lost in life, not knowing what you're going to do, having no purpose. Ollie finally found his purpose again. So yeah. he was then offered um, a interview with another ecological company, which went really well, but they said it would only be a couple of months work. And Ollie didn't even care that it was only a couple of months work. That interview kind of changed his life because it meant that people thought he was good enough to work in the ecological field good enough to warrant an interview with another company and he was really nervous before the start of that interview but it was just like a really chill conversation and obviously he'd learned a lot on the other job and was able to chat to them so it was a really good opportunity and he ended up getting that job which is really amazing and he's still working there today so he ended up also like really loving work in the in natural spaces and in the natural environmental sector. So he ended up doing a TAFE course and finding one that could work around his work um, in conservation and land management so he could learn more about, um, I guess is there's something to say about like working in a job and doing like the basic requirements, but if you really have a, a, a pull to be in this space, it really helps to learn more. And especially like if Ollie didn't have uh, years of conservation training or degrees or like you may not have read in depthly about it like growing up I think that's a good opportunity to study a bit and catch up to everybody in that regards because I think now he'd found his calling it was in his best interest to go learn a bit more so he could keep thriving in the industry because I think like now he's found his purpose in life didn't want to let it go <laughs> um so he says Today, I'm working at the same company and I've almost finished my certificate. Well, this was in 2019, so he's finished his certificate now. Without these things, I honestly don't think I'd be here to say. It's safe to say that conservation has saved my life. No matter how hard it is, no matter what you're going through, just know you're not alone and that you have the strength inside to come out on the other side. So that's very uplifting. That, that usually is like the crux of like, any advice to people going through depression especially because mm-hmm. it, it feels like oh, everything's bad bugger it but like things can get better yeah it's very easy to not believe that especially in high school and like ollie was talking about getting bullied a lot in high school and wanting to take his life i think it's really important I mean, he attempted at 13 which is pretty crazy yeah if you are in high school it's really important to know and you might have heard this before when you're in high school it feels like high school is your whole life it is it is legitimately legitimately your whole life but it gets so much better after high school and this is coming from someone that loved high school i had a eerily good time (laughs) at high school i even like went up to my teachers and like i don't want to do this assignment can i do this assignment again like i would invent my own assignments when it was like 
the the structure what is it called like says when the says like allowed me to do it um where like the it, school it, it was board more curriculum yeah the school board curriculum used to be a lot more flexible so i was like i don't care about these learning outputs or like i know these learning outputs that you want to to have for your students like i don't care about this can i learn about this instead has the same outputs for learning and they're like yeah okay so like i i really like school doing high school like a champ already (laughs) i like had a good time a good relationship with my teachers i literally was so career focused that i didn't give a shit about being a popular kid i didn't have boy band posters on my walls i just had zebras and stuff (laughs) like all i wanted to do was focus on my future so i kind of treated school like people treat uni i guess um, but in saying that, when I got out of school, I was like, oh, school is shit. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> like, just the amount of opportunities you have to connect with like-minded people. Like, I think when I got into my degree, I had finally found a niche of people who thought the same way as me. Or all in mm. high school, I was kind of battling this notion that nobody cared about the same stuff that I did. When I got to choose the pocket of the world that I was going to specialize in, soon like the people i was surrounded with also cared about the same stuff as me yeah so that's a lot of people's experience yeah so just if you're in high school just know that it's not the rest of your life it's just in in the scheme of things a very small period of your life and that's not to take away from how hard it is at the moment and it is like honestly the worst thing you've dealt with in your whole life but it, it, it's a really solid logical argument mm-hmm. but like yeah emotionally it yeah. only works so much it's so challenging but just know like people like ollie he thought his life was over there's no point living anymore but now he is a team leader at this job like he is thriving in his job and he's very well respected doing something that gives him purpose and living a good life and it just goes to show you that you don't ha- like if he had ended his life then then he wouldn't have got to experience all of this extra part of life that makes him so happy and gives him so much meaning. And I think that's really important to remember. It's, it's really challenging. Like when I'm in my tough times where I think like, you know, those times, a lot of conservationists will relate to this <laughs> where you like, if you're doing opportunities that is like casual seasonal work, or you go overseas to do something and you have a period of a lag time in between where you're waiting for opportunities. So just say like I had done a stint of overseas work for six months and I come home and I need to earn money and I like need to do something before I have this other opportunity or start a degree or something. You have this period of nothing mm-hmm. and it makes you feel so useless, it makes you feel so shit. But in those times, I think conservationists are so focused on moving forward and what's next and what can we do more Sometimes it's really important to look at what you have achieved. Because, like, for instance, one time I had to do chemistry in university to be able to complete my degree in biodiversity and conservation. Oh, I freaking yeah. hate chemistry. I'm the worst at chemistry. <laughs> and, like, I busted my ass to try it. Like, I ended up just getting a C. But I was so freaking thankful that I got a C because it meant I had passed. Um, but... The day before my chemistry exam, I was just walking around this oval on repeat, like just walking walking laps of this oval, thinking about all the things that I thought I could never do that I did. And for some reason, thinking about all the things that I had achieved when I thought it was impossible made me feel like I could conquer this chemistry exam. And like 
just thinking about all the like in times where I've felt like I can't do anything and there's a lag or a low period, thinking about the things, no matter how small that you have managed to do, can really help. Like, I think there was this one time in Indonesia. I think I write about this in my book. There's this one time in Indonesia where it was kind of like one of these lag periods where I wasn't allowed in the forest because my permits weren't approved and I was stuck in this freaking house with builders working on it in Indonesia. And I was just so feeling like stuck and nothingy. But then for the first time in my life, I realized that I had been wanting to get to Indonesia since I was three years old. And I thought about all the things I had I'd had to do and the decisions I'd had to make and the work I've had to put in to get myself there like 20 years later. And it just, I'd never thought of it like that before. Like all of the things I've had to accomplish to get to this place of being stuck in a room and being angsty. And it made me feel better because, <laughs> <laughs> because I think it's- Yeah, you can look back and be like, I, I can do better. Things can be better. Like sometimes things just take time. and That I look, gives me confidence and it will be better in the future. Yeah, like I'm a very impatient person. I want things to happen like now, 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 now. Luckily, 2020 and uh, COVID and everything has made a lot of people, I think, learn the art of patience um (laughs) but before then it was just really challenging for me to just let go I think and just just enjoy the lag time and relax or just hang out and not stress um but I think if you do feel like you're like there's no point living or there's you're in a really challenging part of life and you feel sad and depressed I think looking over the times where you have created worth for something you have done something important even it doesn't have to be like getting a nobel prize or something like (laughs) (laughs) just like if you have like helped a friend and or you really made someone's day or you got like a really good grade and assignment you were proud of and like you can remind yourself that you are able to achieve things and you're able to make small changes eventually over time those small changes will aggregate into bigger changes and i think i don't know it's just hard to see at the time you know when you're sad, everything's like. Does anyone else have like that one one moment where someone like says something nice to you and you just sort of cherish it forever? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's like remember when Gary called me effervescent? I've like yeah. never forgotten that. Like I was in. I mean, a, that's arguably a, <laughs> a compliment. Well, I don't know. He just I didn't even know what effervescent meant at the time. <laughs> it was just like. Jesse, I think your effervescentness like lets you get away with a lot. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? It's like, I think because in conservation, people are, sometimes you have like angry vegans, you have like protesters, you have like really angry people. There's passion. And you're like passionate people. And then you have like really like studious scientific people. And I just come in so like bubbly and I'm like, oh, that's bullshit. Why? Like, I, don't, I just have a, like, I play around with people. I joke and he's like, your like bubbliness and your positive demeanor and mentality lets you get away with saying a lot of stuff that other people wouldn't. <laughs> and then somebody asked me in an interview recently. I didn't get the job. I wonder why. <laughs> they asked me in an interview, um, like, what is something a, a work colleague or somebody has said to you that like changed the way you did your job or changed the way you live? And I was like, all I could think of is when Gary called me effervescent. <laughs> Because I just remember yeah. being at this Palmwell conference once and then there was this guy that basically did this talk to say that uh, he was a representative of the Malaysian embassy. And he basically said that um, 
the forest coverage in Malaysia has increased over a certain time period because of one corridor that got planted, like one strip of trees that connects one patch of forest to another. Right. And basically afterwards I was like, uh, excuse me, what a load of shit. <laughs> what about um, the other increasing rates of deforestation? But I was like 18 at the time, I was like very young, and I was just talking to this Malaysian embassy guy like, can you explain yourself? Like, are you severely uneducated that you think this is improving forest coverage? And everyone was looking at me afterwards. They're like, whoa, you really showed him. Like, I would never say that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think when you're like young, you can get away with a lot. I don't know how long I can keep that that youngness, but maybe my effervescentness yeah. will carry my... <laughs> maybe, maybe as you get older, telling people you're full of shit, is just gonna I didn't be say less that less taken well. I didn't say that, but I think I asked pointed questions. Yeah. I think yeah. like it's like polite not to ask pointed questions to people, but when you're a kid you don't really know that, so you just do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> What's yeah. something that someone said to you that stuck with you? Uh, I remember doing like a computer course just after high school. Mm-hmm. And like halfway through, they're like, "Oh, you you need to do this and this and this, but like, don't even worry about rocking up to half of the classes because you know you're so ahead, you'll be fine." <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Did you not end up finishing that one either? Yeah, I ended up dropping out. <laughs> so like, maybe he overestimated my skills. Did you drop out because it was boring and you like knew all of it, or did you drop out because it was too challenging? I dropped out because I needed to move out, so I got a job that was nighttime, mm-hmm. like 10 p.m. to 8 a.m., and, yeah, I couldn't go to this class after that. Well, I think that's another thing, right, because, like, Ollie was homeless for a bit, and obviously, like, a lot of lonely conservationists find themselves in, like, really shitty home situations. There's a, like, going through a lot of the blogs, there's a lot of, like, uh, unstable abusive home situations and like unsupportive families like Todd you were in a position where you had to prioritize like moving out and being self-sufficient which I think is a lot of things conservationists can relate to and especially in this field it's really hard because there's not a lot of money in it and just like you had to sacrifice your education to kind of keep yourself on your two feet that's something that may be a cause of stress or like mental health issues for a lot of conservationists mm-hmm. so I think well, yeah, Ollie had like a whole bunch of paragraphs of like, he wanted to do this education to mm-hmm. like better himself, but like, he also needs to pay rent. Yeah. And like, you also need to pay for the education. So it costs time and money, like neither of which you have. Yeah. It's really, really difficult. So the TAFE course he chose because it was the cheapest rates available and also it only was like one day a week. So he could just take Wednesdays off and yeah. go to tape on a Wednesday. Where you still learn stuff. Yeah. It's still worth it. Yeah, but, like, a lot of the other courses were, like, full-time or $15,000, and it just it wasn't feasible for him at the time, which is, like, totally understandable. So I think you're not, like, you're not, what's the word, any less of a conservationist or any less of a person if you have to prioritise your own safety and well-being over your education. Yeah. And I think the time that you do spend in nature and just learning, like, you can learn a lot about nature from being in it. You don't have to study it or read books or whatever. Like, you can learn a lot just from observing. So your experience 
even... Do you mean like when, when you were saying of like in between, you know, conservation jobs, mm-hmm. you might need to get a job at the fish and chip shop just yeah. to pay the rent. And like, it's very easy to feel like, oh, you know, I'm not a conservationist anymore. Yeah. But like you are, you're just, you know, also a person who needs to pay rent. Why do you think I hammer the point home so much that anybody <laughs> is a conservationist? Because like people think I might just be trying to tell lawyers like, say you're a conservationist, you'll make people in your office do cool stuff like recycling. No, it's also because people like me, who is like my whole identity as being a conservationist, the times where I'm not paid to do conservation work or working on a project, it's still important that I acknowledge my role in conservation and just because I'm looking after myself or between jobs doesn't make me any less of a conservationist. Mm. I think that's really important because we beat ourselves up so much when the worst part is if somebody asks you like, oh, what do you do? And you're between jobs or working at a fish and chip shop like I used to work at an underwear store. What do you do? I would never say like, oh, I work in retail. I'd always say I'm a conservationist. Oh, what are you working on? Yeah. And then you're like, oh, shit, like nothing at the moment. I'm sell underwear. But like in your heart, that's what you are. You're not a retail underwear seller. You're a conservationist. Re- yeah. I remember meeting someone and I, was, I didn't know anything about it. I'm like, oh, you know, what's your name? What do you do? And they're like, they looked really, really sad and horrified because mm-hmm. they were between jobs. Yeah. And so they didn't have an, you know, an answer for, oh, I do this as my job and that's, yeah. you know, who I am. And so he felt really, really bad about it. But then, like, trying to more, it's like, oh, you know, I work, do stuff at this club, I do acting at this, mm-hmm. you know, I uh, work at this, I do this sport and stuff. I'm like, well, you have, like, you know, a rich, full life. Yeah. Just because, you know, doing work at a fish and chip shop, that doesn't mean, you know, yeah, you that's... don't have an identity and you don't have purpose in your life today i shared this post that i found which i thought was like so spot on it's like a pie chart and it's like what people think success is and half of it was like job status and the other half was money and it's like <laughs> what success really is and it's like how much sleep are you getting how much time are you spending on your mental health how much how many times are you seeing your friends and then it was a tiny bit of like supporting yourself financially and the job that you have yeah. but really it's that bigger circle of like the like lives are complicated and there's a lot of sacrifices you have to make and I mean people have, have different around. priorities yeah for me success isn't like okay so the job that I said that I got a trial shift for and I ended up getting I would be getting like just no I would be getting like close to minimum wage because I will be working not a full-time job like it only works five hours in the morning so I won't be getting paid like 40 hour weeks because I have every afternoon off. So when you look at like the year long salary, it looks shit. (laughs) But for me, it's really important. Like the stability was the thing that I wanted this job for. I wanted to walk, I wanted to work every morning so I could have the afternoons to um, do a TAFE course I've picked up, to do Lonely Conservationist, to edit the podcast. Like it's really important for me to have that work-life balance because I- To fit in with your lifestyle. Yeah, to fit in with my lifestyle. So if I just look at the numbers of what I'd be earning, it makes me want to cry and it makes me want to feel like I should be getting a a different job or whatever. Less than you're worth. But realistically, I value time and I value my like lonely conservationist and and all the work that I'm doing and learning and stuff. I value that more than a full-time high-paying job. Well, maybe you value money and you should just chase that corporate life. Yeah, like I'm not saying that my life is 
what everyone should aspire to be. Because it does feel <laughs> weird when you're like, oh, people care about the wrong things. So superficial, only care about money. They should care about well, what I care about. You can, no, like, for instance, Todd has, like, a high-paying job and he works nine to five. Well, not, like, high-paying, but he's, like, more high-paying than mine. I'm above the poverty line, <laughs> unlike some people on this for, podcast. For me, that's high-paying. <laughs> like, he earns enough to support us both. So we're in a very fortunate position, but... Todd also spends time, like, doing hobbyist tech stuff. Like, he'll be like, oh, I created this gizmo that lets us sort all the movies that we have on our, like, cord or, like, on our hard drive or whatever. Or he, one time... I set my computer on a fire two weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, actually, Ollie knows about this. Yeah. <laughs> Ollie is actually, unfortunately, subject to a lot of Todd's rants about the things that go wrong with what he's working on. Yeah. But I feel like... Todd ha- is able to maintain a mix of his hobbies and the nine to five job. But I imagine like we don't have kids, right? So if Todd had to go to work, come back, pick up a kid, take it to soccer practice, make dinner, blah, blah, he wouldn't have time for his hobbies. So he can yeah. have that balance because he doesn't have all this other stuff in his life. Like when we had sick relatives in hospital, our time was spent in the hospital. We weren't doing hobbies. So it's like whatever life throws at you, that's what you have to base your decisions you on. sort of just end up going with whatever happens yeah another aspect i was going to bring up is um so like for ollie when he was struggling most was like mentally it was depression and anxiety it was also when he was struggling the most with like just participating in society and, and like, like having a home and a stability job. and yeah mm. and like it's, it's easy to imagine like you know feeling really bad when you're nothing's going your way and stuff yeah but that's not to say that, you know, people like you described me of like, I have a job. It's above the poverty line doing great, right? Like you can still, you know, suffer from depression and stuff, even if it seems like your life's going well on paper. Mm-hmm. And that, that can be like really frustrating because you're like, oh, I should be fine. Why don't I feel fine? That's almost like frustrating for me as well. Like if Todd's feeling really depressed or sad. And he's got his life, from what I can see, is sorted out. And I'm yeah, like, it makes it really hard to tell people about it. <laughs> They're like, I, know, I feel like shit all the time. I'm like, why? Your life's great. I'm like, yeah, I know. That's what you feel worse about it. Yeah, so I think it's you can't base your mental health on physical things as well, on like how you how you perceive your life to be. Because realistically, most of the time I'll be like, Todd, why do you feel sad? And he'll be like, I don't know. And that's because there's <laughs> chemical imbalances in your brain. You don't have to have a reason why you feel sad. Yeah, right. You're right. That said, like, there is something to be said about, like, you know, they do studies, like, if you walk in nature for an hour, Mm -hmm. you know, if you exercise, you know, you release endorphins and stuff, like, there are very concrete things in your lifestyle that lead you to feel better. Mm -hmm. And also, like... But, like, it's it's hard. (laughs) (laughs) But what's interesting is, like, Todd's actually been tracking his mood. And it's interesting since he left his job with a bad work culture and now he's been walking to work and getting like a bit more exercise. There's trees outside on the commute <laughs> to work. It's like a 40 minute walk to the train station. So it's not a quick walk. It's well, like, this this was like the, the shock to the system I was talking about. Yeah. Like, I changed jobs and with that came a I lot feel of a lot changes. better in life. Yeah. But yeah, it, it meant a lot of changes to my day and a lot of changes to my habits. Yeah. So, like, it's hard to pin it to, like, one single thing. Like, oh, you just do this differently. Yeah, I'm like, feel better. Todd, 
do you feel better because you're you're walking now but also like your whole job has changed and the people you work yeah. with has changed and now you have more flexibility nine hours of my day is with different people doing different things like maybe that changes how i feel every day but interestingly enough okay so sometimes because of covid or because of like now things are more flexible in the workplace total will work from home but we still get up at six and go for a walk in the morning before we both start our days so do you think that the walking in nature has had such this impact on you in how you feel that is inspired you to keep it up despite it being like a, a commute you have to do? Probably. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's proof. Even for non-nature people, the walking helps. <laughs> so we've talked a lot, not just about those two blogs, but also we've been chatting. We've kind of gone off the rails, but we need to talk about what can we do to help people who, this is a challenging one because a lot of the time, like we don't know the mental health issues of people who we're close to. Like I once sent my friend a message in high school, just out of the blue, I was like, hey, I'm just thinking about you. And I, I really appreciate how much of a friend you've been to me recently. I just, I really needed you to know that I, I love you and I care about you. This was totally out of the blue that I sent this message. And then I get, um, like a few years later, she's like, Jesse, you know, when you sent me that message, I was about to kill myself. And I didn't because you sent me that message and I felt really loved and like people cared about me. Jeez. I know. So I think um, I had no idea that she was having these thoughts, that she was having any mental health issues. I thought she was, she was really good at school. She had good grades. She had a good friend group. And she was a few yeah. years younger than me. She was my friend's sister. So I wasn't so intimately... Uh, aware of the things going on but um it was so interesting that i didn't realize the impact i'd had on this person's life from a, a simple message so i just think like what we can do to help other people who may be going through mental health issues is i think just show up for people and just to make sure that you're someone that they feel like you're a safe space so if they are going through anything and they need to talk to someone that you could be somebody that they could talk to because I think, like, I didn't know that that message was going to have such an impact on her life. And I think nobody knows the impact that they have on people's life day to day. The people at Todd's new job didn't really know that they're changing his mental health dramatically for not being like the people at his old job. Like, you just have to, I think, the only thing you can do really is to be a good person. And if you can, just take people for a walk, go out, show them birds. If you can, like... If you want to hang out with someone, especially in COVID, this is like kind of the only way you can hang out with people anymore. Half the time is to be out in nature. Like yeah. socially distancing is very... The pubs as much. Yeah, it's very compatible with being outside. So maybe this is a good time where if you're allowed to go on walks or if you're allowed to be outside with other people, maybe this is a good chance to kind of have those interactions that are really good for your mental and physical health. Mm. anything else because i think it, it goes like the whole point of conservation of like hey these like nature spaces are really not just useful for the rest of nature not useful for the planet just like selfishly as human beings they're useful to us yeah we should make sure that they're stay around and everyone has access to them like as much like, as a doctor correct me if i'm wrong was that the whole point of conservation <laughs> Well, it's just, it's one aspect. I think like <laughs> maybe we should change branding to look at it that way and people might care about yeah. it more. It's an aspect that works with people. Now there's things like forest bathing where people go out and just like 
bathe in the forest (laughs) maybe just i don't know what it entails but like probably just sit there and like soak soak it it in yeah Yeah. um so i think there's like holistic trends but i think realistically with all the evidence that shows how good nature and fresh air and natural spaces are for you maybe for every doctor's office there should also be a park or a nature strip or something but yeah i think it's I'm really appreciative of both Stephanie and Ollie for sharing your stories. They're not easy to tell. And I know how hard it is to tell people you're having, you're struggling with mental health issues in person, let alone share it, that you thought about taking your own life or really challenging things and just publishing it on the internet. So I'm really thankful that both of you have been brave enough to share your stories so we can all really start to think about this and and think like we complain about conservation so much for like all the like sexism and injustice of pay issues and all this stuff but realistically it does bring so much joy and like life fuel to people when push comes to shove we do conservation for a reason like we want these natural spaces to stick around and not only is it saving uh, like plants and animals but is also saving a lot of humans lives as well so to all the conservationists out there Thank you for all the lives you save. I I honestly think conservationists should be listed as a care worker because the amount of empathy in conservationists and the amount they do to help protect and save species is basically like you're a carer. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like if there was like a union or something, it should be based off a carer's model. Yep, agreed. (laughs) And unfortunately, that was the last episode where we discuss a theme uh, of the blogs you guys have chosen. So next week will be a wrap up episode where we talk about how this podcast has changed our perception of all the topics that we have gone through in this season. But until then, keep up on the blog with all the stories from all the conservationists around the world at lonelyconservationist.com. Join the community on Instagram at Lonely Conservationist and Lonely Conserve on Twitter. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash lonelyconservationist or check out my book anywhere you get your online books. But stay tuned for next week where we wrap up season two all about you. Until then, I'll see you next week. Bye.